I don't know if you know this or not, but over the last 25 years or so, modern psychology has kind of been going through a little bit of a transformation. During that time, modern psychology has really focused a lot of its time and effort on what is known as positive psychology. Now, this is a departure from most of what happened during the 20th century when almost all psychology was addressing mental illness or problems after they had occurred. This was something that is rooted in the belief that we could actually proactively promote human flourishing and functioning at a high level rather than only addressing the negative stuff. And, and it's something that, while it's been in vogue for the last 25 years, it actually has its roots long, long before that. If you go back to the 1950s, some of us might remember from college or even high school, remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Abraham Maslow identified kind of the, the basic needs that all people feel across cultures and races and socioeconomic status and all those kind of good things. Maslow was actually kind of the beginning of positive psychology. But even way, 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 way back beyond Maslow, back into the 300s BC, there was a guy by the name of Aristotle. And Aristotle was promoting this idea that he called the eudaimion, the, the good spirit of human nature that is where we are at our best, where we're flourishing the most. And all of these things have significant contributions and things to offer. But if you do any amount of research at all, you will find that there is, in fact, something missing. There's a, a piece of the puzzle that is not quite there in Aristotle or Maslow or positive psychology. While all of these things help us to understand what is human flourishing and what are the contributing factors? How do we get there? What is it? How do we get there? They cannot answer the why question. Why are these the things that cause us to flourish? Why are these the things that, that we seek, that we search for, that we long for in our heart of hearts and our soul of souls? I think we would all agree that cultures change. Technology advances and grows, ebbs and flows. That, that's kind of a, a non-negotiable. We, we, nobody could really intelligently argue against those things. But as much as culture changes, I believe with everything I have, the human heart does not change. The same things that feed our hearts and our souls today are the things that fed our hearts and souls in the 50s with Aristotle, on back in time immemorial because of how God has created people, people like you, people like me. And it's because of these things that we've been engaged in this study that we've been calling First Things First. Over the last few weeks, we've been doing a deep dive really on one very small parcel of Jesus's preaching here on the earth. It's found in his Sermon on the Mount. The passage that I'm talking about is Matthew chapter number six. And today, we're gonna look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six. We've already kind of spent a good bit of time talking about the, the what. He says what is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We, we spent two weeks, one week talking about kingdom, one week talking about righteousness. What is that that he meant when he said that? We talked about the, the when 
of those priorities that it's first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the other stuff that you worry about will be taken care of. But today, we're going beneath the superficial. We're going beyond the what and the when, and we want to get at the why today. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them like you mean it, with a smile on your face. It's all about the why. That was great. That was very good. If you see anybody from the 915 service, tell them that you all just smoked them. I mean, they were, they were like, I don't know. They, I don't know if they set their clocks back or not. But this is the passage of Scripture we've been dealing with. I want to recap it in case you haven't been here, but also whether if you have been here, we're going to use this as a, a launching pad for where we're going today as we talk about the why. And the words are going to be highlighted on the screen behind me. So read these words out loud that are highlighted with me. Jesus said this, so do not worry. Let's do that again like we really mean it, shall we? So, very good, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Then he says this, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus said, do not worry. Now, I have shared with y'all before that the greatest spiritual challenge in my life is worry. I've got others, but this is number one with a bullet. I mean, this is, this is the one that is a runaway number one challenge for me, is, is worry, sometimes stress, sometimes being anxious. I know I'm not alone. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I am going to ask you, if you don't mind, how many of us, when we see the words of Jesus here, do not worry, and then he repeats it, do not worry. Is there anybody in the room who thinks to yourself, yeah, right? Anybody? Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. The rest of you, we have a liar's workshop that we're going to be offering for you. Do not worry. This is getting at the why behind the what and the when. This is the, the what, of course, is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. The when is to seek it first. It's about priorities. And Jesus is absolutely calling his followers up to a higher plane of priorities. But he's also calling us out because he knows that our tendency, our, our natural bent is toward worry and, and to, to get fearful and fretful about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, what we're going to drive, where we're going to live, who we're going to date, who we're going to marry, all of these things. And he goes, no, 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 no. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all that other stuff will take care of itself, I promise you. So do not worry. And this echoes something that he had already said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. I want you to, again, read the highlighted words with me if you would. Matthew 5, verse 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Y'all are doing a great job. Y'all, on the other hand, <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers. All together now. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, 
I am 57 years old. 57, I don't feel old per se, but by any measure you want to use, 57 is not young anymore. That's 57. In my 57 years of life on this planet, I have never in my life met, talked with, or even heard about a peace drifter. Somebody who just woke up one day, this peace, it just landed in my lap. This is awesome. I've never met that person. I've never heard about them. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Last time I'm going to tell you to do this, probably. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you got to make peace. See, here's the deal. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, ever since this world was marred by sin, I, my life, your life, creation, ever since sin entered into the picture, peace ceased to be the default. Now peace has to be made. You, you have to work for peace. You have to plan for peace. You got to desire it. You got to design for it. You have to make peace in this world. But notice what Jesus said there in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I want you to think in your mind's eye of about, let's say, a, a four or a five year old who's growing up in a healthy home environment, okay? This is a healthy home, a home that is focused on Christ, a home that is rooted in his word, a home where the parents love one another, they love their children, their kids know it. That's, that's what I want you to have in the frontal lobe. When you think about that, that four-year-old never, ever goes to bed at night worrying about whether or not they're safe. They just know they're, they're going to go to bed, and they might, they might hate going to bed, Anybody ever have a child who hated going to bed? I mean, there were times when we would be like with Emily, we're like, I mean, it's time, but I just don't know if I have it in me right now. <laughs> but they eventually, they fall asleep, and when they wake up in the morning, they, they don't have any doubt in their minds whether or not there's going to be food on the table for breakfast. They know mom and dad are going to let them eat today. They know they're going to have clothing they know they're going to be cared for. They know if they fall and scrape their knee, there's going to be somebody there to scoop them up and spray some Bactine on it. They, they don't worry about any of that. I really think that's what Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers, don't worry about whether or not God's got them. Peacemakers, don't get anxious and stressed out about whether or not God's going to meet all of their needs emotionally, psychologically, relationally, financially, physically. Peacemakers live in this posture as a child of God. A child of God who says, my God's got me. My, my perfect father has me. You know, we've shared before how our, our close friends... Ed and Lisa Young, Julie's cousin is Ed, and a little over two years ago, they lost 
their 34-year-old daughter, Lebeth, tragically and unexpectedly. And it was, it was a horrific, horrific experience. It's every parent's worst nightmare, as you could imagine. But I remember Lisa saying something so powerful in the immediate aftermath of Lebeth's passing. She said, you know, she goes, I, I've never known a pain like this before. I've never known a loss like this before. Like, it, I, it's physical. It's not just emotional. She said this. She said, but I do know this. She said, I do, I do believe that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. She goes, I know Lee Beth was a believer in Christ. I know Lee Beth had been forgiven of her sins. I know Lee Beth is now with Christ and is healthier and more whole and complete than any of us. And I know that one day I'll see my girl again. And I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I remember thinking at the moment, wow. You want to talk about when faith gets real? When you believe the word of God and you cling to the word of God because you're clinging to God for life, for breath, in the wake of a loss like that. And I just thought, to have that kind of faith, to know that God is still good in the middle of that hurt, and I remember thinking, if Lisa can do that where she is, I, I, need, to, I need to kind of get over myself in some ways. I need, to, I need to remember that God still has me like he still has her, like he still has you. God's got this. And when we remember that, when we remember how good he is, whew, kinda, it's just kind of go, okay, take a deep breath. And, and then we can, we can pick up and we can move on. We can, we can keep going with, with a sense of peace. And, and this sense of peace is one of those things that, that God just promises. That it's, it is literally a gift from God. Now, it would be one thing if we all walked out of here today and going, yeah, blessed are the peacemakers, peacemakers, child of God. That, okay, I'm a peacemaker. I'm, I'm making peace. Yeah, go get him. <laughs> but if we walked out of here and we didn't know how to do it, if all we thought about was, that's, that's it, I'm going to be a peacemaker. If we, don't, if we don't know how to make peace, then before we get up tomorrow morning, we're going to be back to square one. We're going to be continuing to struggle with that, that worry. And Jesus said, don't worry. But, but how do I not worry? How do I live in that peace? How do I live in that posture as a child of God? And in Philippians chapter 4, there is a promise from God about peace. If you've been around church, if you've been around God for a long time, you've probably seen this passage before. This may be brand new to you. I will tell you, I see this passage in Philippians chapter 4 in a whole new light because of this conversation about priorities, because of what Jesus is calling us up to, because of his calling me out as somebody who is pretty good at worry. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul 
is writing to the church at Philippi, and by extension, you and me. He's writing as as a church leader, a pastor. He's writing under the inspiration and the direction of the Holy Spirit of God, and he's explaining this is how this good news gospel plays itself out in your life. This, this is what it looks like. I'm going to start with verses 6 and 7. And again, we're going to have some highlighted words here. I want you to read them out loud because they are so instructive. They are so deliberately chosen. This is what Paul writes, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. He says, don't worry about, there it is again. Did Jesus just don't worry about anything? Instead, read it with me. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, I've read that verse, I don't know how many times over the course of my faith journey, and I come back to it a lot. Peace that passes understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the promise is real. Don't don't misunderstand me. The promise is real, but as important as the promise is the practice is what Paul is telling us to do in this passage of Scripture so that we can live in this peace, so that we can live this peace out through our lives. It is the practice that gives life to the promise. Practice. It's like the great theologian, Allen Iverson, Allen Iverson used to play basketball for the Philadelphia 76ers, had the greatest press conference in the history of sports. If you haven't seen this today, go home and YouTube it. Allen Iverson talking about practice. He was skipping practice at the time and had kind of created a little bit of a controversy. His coach was mad at him. The press was eating him alive, and they were asking him, how do you get away with skipping practice when the rest of your teammates are there? And he very famously said, man, we're talking about practice. Now, we're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. This isn't a game. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice over and over and over. It is a classic, but it's also great theology because practice is what gives life to the promise. When we do what God calls us to do, then we experience what God calls us to experience. And it's right there for us in the taking, for the taking. He says, pray about everything. Number one, pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. Prayer is one of those things that most of us do at some point or another. And most of us don't think we're very good at it. That's statistically a fact. All of us will try prayer at some level, maybe when it's test time or we get in a fight with our spouse or lose our job. I'm a prayer then. But on a regular basis, the the discipline, the, the muscle memory, the skill of prayer is something that we're not great at. Just start here. Pray expectantly. 
Now, when we say expectantly, that's not like, God, you owe me. That's, that's not the same thing. Julie and I have been married for 32 years, and there are certain things that I expect from her because of who she is, not because I deserve it or because she owes it to me. One of the things, Julie loves, this is, this is really strange about my wife. Julie loves to do laundry. Do you know how grateful I am for that? She loves it. Now, I don't know that she loves doing it as much as she loves having it done. Whatever the case, she does it. And after 32 years, I expect it, not because she owes it to me, not because she's a woman. When we first got married, it was very hard for her. I was used to doing my own laundry. I grew up with a single mom. I did all my own laundry, getting ready for basketball practice every single day. I'd come, Julie would come in and see me standing at the washing machine. She'd be like, what are you doing? I was like, honey, I'm just being a great husband. She goes, get away. That's my job. I was like, well, okay. If that's the way you want it. <laughs> but I don't expect it because she owes it to me. I expect it because that's what she does. Now, it's also true that Julie absolutely will not break down Amazon boxes. When we get packages at the house, they stack up. I mean, Stack up. And I'm like, and by the way, the vast majority of them are not for your pastor. <laughs> but you know what? Julie expects me to break down the Amazon boxes because that's what I do. Not because I owe it to her, because she's entitled. Just our behavior over the years has kind of set aside some things that we do. It's called the division of labor. Praying expectantly is expecting God to be God in your life, expecting God to do what he says he will do. Pray expectantly. Also, number two, pray gratefully. Pray gratefully. The Mayo Clinic has determined that behavior changes biology. I want you to think about that. Behavior changes biology. When we express gratitude to another person, it releases the flow of oxytocin in our bodies, the hormone, oxytocin. Oxytocin is the connecting hormone. Oxytocin is the thing that you feel like when you're you know, about to see your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife, and it's that little quiver in your liver, that's oxytocin. It's the connecting hormone. When we express gratitude to God, Thank God for all he has done. When that happens, the oxytocin is flowing, baby. And in that moment, you are drawn closer to God. To be grateful. To be grateful for the fact that you have this day. To be grateful for the fact that he has brought you to this point. That he's carried you as far as he has. To show gratitude is to Build relationship with God. So we pray expectantly. We pray gratefully. But Paul's not done with us. And this, man, this is where it, this is serious. This is where it moves from the internal to the external. Verses eight and nine. And again, read the highlighted words with me on the screen. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Say that again. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right and pure, lovely and admirable. 
think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice. There it is again. All you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, put that into practice. Then the God of peace will be with you. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right and pure, lovely and admirable, excellent and worthy of praise. The, the word in the original Greek, to fix your thoughts, it means to fasten, to, to connect in a way that they don't separate. Fix your thoughts on those things. We, we would say, the, the modern translation might say, super glue your mind and your thoughts on things that are true and lovely admirable, worthy of praise, excellent, noble, good. Think about those things, which means we think about what we think about. Think about what you think about. Think about your intake. Think about what you watch on TV. Think about what movies you watch. Think about the music you listen to. Think about what you read. Think about the blogs that you pay attention to. Think about these things. Think about them. Be deliberate. Be intentional. Fix your thoughts on the things of God, not the things of this world. I've told you before, and I'm going to say it again. This is exactly why I quit watching cable news. Cable news will rot your brain. Listen, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, please hear me say this. They want your money. They want your money. They're not trying to help you be a better American. They want your money so they get you all stirred up and mad at people you've never even met so that you'll stay glued to the tube and just mad. When I quit watching that junk First of all, I haven't missed a single earthquake since then. I, I know about all of them. I know about every war that has started. I know about every pandemic that has happened. I know all of the presidents since I quit this two years ago. I know it all on the news. But my life is so much richer and fuller since I got away from that crap. Don't get mad at me. Paul uses the word in the original language. It is junk for your heart and your mind and your soul. If God's going to guard your heart and your mind, fix your mind on the things above. So now I'll say this too. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right and pure, lovely and admirable, excellent and worthy of praise. That's why I don't care about the Dallas Cowboys anymore. <laughs> I'm not fixing my mind on mediocrity. I'm just like, you know what? I, I, I pay attention. I used to be a cow, lifelong Cowboys fan. And, and if you still are, that's great, man. I love you. But I, I, I pay attention to Cowboys like I look at the weather. Okay, it's going to rain today. Okay, Cowboys lost. I'm fine. It's no big deal. Think about what you think about. But then he also says, keep putting into practice all that you've learned do the next right thing. Part of our peace, part of this why that Jesus is talking about when he says, do not worry, 
is taken care of when we do the next right thing. We're not worried about getting caught. We're not worried about trying to remember a lie that we told so that we can cover it up with another lie. You just do the right thing. It simplifies life so much if you just do the next right thing. And I know somebody's going to go, well, okay, what if you don't know the next right thing? And that happens sometimes. I mean, sometimes. But you usually know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, you usually do know what not to do. Just do the next right thing. So pray expectantly. Pray gratefully. You, you, you pray continuously, expectantly. You pray gratefully. You think about what you think about. You do the next right thing. All around this, this why of do not worry, God is trying to give us the peace that passes understanding. He wants us to live in this peace that guards our hearts and our minds. But we're, we're not quite done. Because our why is actually a who. Our why is a who. Who do we focus on? Romans chapter five. The Bible says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this amazing grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I want you to just think about something for a second. Just, just a concept, just an idea. I want you to think about standing in the grace of God. Just, just living your life in the grace of God. The grace of God that forgives you of every single sin. The grace of God that removes every single shame. The grace of God that forgives you for everything and remembers your sin no more. The grace of God that says you're now a child of God. To stand in that grace, man, just to, just to let it wash over you. Just to know that you know that you know the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the judge of this world has forgiven you. If God forgives me, case closed. Somebody might say, but, but Mac, I, I know what you did when you were in high school or college. I, I remember, Mac, I, I know, that's okay. God's forgiven me. 
Come at me, bro. That, that's, that's cool. Yeah, that, that did happen. I'm not denying it. I'm just saying it's forgiven. I stand in the grace of God. I stand in the grace of God. What do I have to worry about? What do I have to be fearful of that is beyond his power, his authority, his grace, and his goodness? I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship with God, we want to invite you to do that. And it's actually not our invitation. We just get to be the, the messenger, the deliverer. Because it's an invitation from God. An invitation from God to live in that grace. If you've never owned that, if you've never received that personally and definitively, why not right now? Just right where you're sitting. Maybe you're online watching, but just from your heart to God's pray, just silently say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. And so right now, I confess my sin to you. All of it. I'm not trying to hide anything. I know that you know everything. And Jesus, I confess my sin so that I can receive, I can accept your grace, your truth, your forgiveness. Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again for me. And so in this moment, I accept once and for all your grace. In exchange for your life that you gave to me, I give you my life and I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. For us as a church, there's nothing more important than this moment right now. Nothing. Because of what God is doing in people's lives. And if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it for the first time, then as a church, we want to help you with what comes next. When we dismiss in just a moment, if you're here in the room, we've got a gift for you. We'd love to give you. It's just a new believer's kit. It's a Bible and a, and a reading plan to help you begin to take the first steps in this relationship with Christ. If you're online, let your service host know, and we'll get you one also. But you can go out to the hub, out in the big lobby to your right from where you're sitting right now. And just let somebody know that, hey, today was my day. I prayed that prayer, and they'll help you get started. Second thing is, if you would, just for a moment, as our heads are bowed for another second, would you just raise your hand if that was your prayer? 
raise your hand and hold it high up over your head. And here's why. Because the Bible says that all of heaven celebrates when one person prays that prayer, when one person steps over that line of faith. And so as a church, we want to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. So we honor that. We celebrate that with you. And as you go ahead and put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.